previously on see you in another life brothers so you're actually a psychic yep certified and everything okay uh, well, can you tell me my future yeah of course so just give me your hands and close your eyes okay here you go oh when did you watch it what the episode raised by another how did you know? Told you. I'm a psychic. Whoa, yeah. Yeah, I watched it last night. What about it? I'm so sorry. But you're going to have to discuss it in great detail. No, I don't want to do that. It was too scary. But you have to. It has to be this way. This episode. Discussed by any other person. Danger surrounds this episode. No! I'm not doing it, and I'm not raising this baby. Greetings, and welcome to another episode of See You in Another Life, Brothers, the show about Lost a television show that aired in 2004 and continued to air until 2010. I am your tour guide, Joe Betcher, and joining me, as always, is my co-tour guide through the cosmos, Andrew John Betcher. How are you, sir? Yes, I am doing very well, uh, Joseph Francis Betcher. Uh, glad to be uh, your compatriot on this journey. I think we should keep this level of formality throughout the entire episode. How's it sound? I agree, and I also uh, think it is very appropriate for such a calm, uh, collected episode such as this one. Mm -hmm. This episode was very formal and very calm and polite and full of uh, etiquette, and I appreciated mm -hmm. that. Nothing went wrong. It was very polite and very, very formal. In fact, I don't know if we have anything to talk about. We might want to just, you know, go ahead and end this thing uh, here where we're at right now. Wait, wait a second. Are we? We're we're talking about Downton, Downton Abbey, right? Yeah, of course. Wait, hold hold on, hold on a second. Looking at my notes here. Oh. <sighs> <laughs> silly me this is the show where we talk about lost i did i did do that intro and then i got confused and thought we were talking we were doing our downton abbey podcast that's for another oh my day gosh right? my gosh <sighs> what day is it it's this is it's monday this uh it's lost of course oh this my is gosh. embarrassing i i'm so sorry listeners out there no we, we're talking about a crazy town banana pants episode of lost right now this is gonna get crazy we're going to get nuts up in here because we're talking about Claire Littleton and her crazy dream. It was crazy. Am I right? Or am I Honestly, right? Honestly, well, you are right. We, uh, this episode, we've had, we've had, um, kind of weird sci fi stuff just a little bit. You know, we've had monsters, we've had, um, really dramatic episodes, uh, episodes where we go on a journey of learning who these characters are. But this episode, honestly felt like kind of a horror movie <laughs> and it just like I never realized I don't know why but I never thought of this episode as being you know as scary as it is but it is straight up terrifying like so many scenes in it are just 
like straight from a horror movie. <laughs> I don't even know if I want to talk about the first scene because I'm just too I'm too scared. I it's just it's too <laughs> traumatic to go back to it. It is terrifying. I actually read. <laughs> Um, I mean, even before we get into it, I read uh, on Lostpedia, I think, you know, one Mm -hmm. of those, you know, fan websites where they just add a bunch of stuff. There's a description on there. um, They do this for every episode where it's like um, things that were in the script originally that they cut for time or, you know, over time, they just whittled it down. And the description of this dream sequence was even more terrifying in there. Um, Mm. like it, I forget it had Locke like screaming stuff at Claire and then like a doll shows up or something and (laughs) like starts screaming and then she wakes up and I'm glad at least that they, they kept some restraint, even though, yeah, it's straight up terrifying even as is. Yeah. Way to tone it down. You psychos. (laughs) What the heck? (laughs) Uh, Demented. I don't know who, who. Uh, whoever wrote and directed this one, but uh, they were on some serious stuff when they did, I'm sure. So, um, and, at least and they at opened the same, anyway. Oh, yeah. Well, and at the same time, we've got all these delightful little Hurley moments throughout the episode. Yeah. And then, <laughs> but they they really uh, went zero to 100 right at the beginning, so. Mm-hmm. Well, are you ready to try to go zero to 100, talking about raised by another? Uh, why, yes, I think I am. Oh, sorry, I just... No, that's the wrong character. Gosh. Yes, I'm This isn't talking Downton Abbey. This is (laughs) See You in Another Life, brothers. And, uh, yeah. So, talking about this dream sequence, uh, where to begin? Let's begin at the beginning. So, uh, Claire wakes up to the sound of a baby. Mm -hmm. Or she doesn't wake up. She wakes up in the dream. There's a sound of a baby. What the heck? She hasn't had the baby yet. What? She's not pregnant. What's going on? I don't. Ugh. I don't understand. And she uh, just uh, how disoriented that that is already. I mean, mm-hmm. and then she's hearing the baby. She gets up. She's walking through the jungle, um, and then she comes upon the most unsettling thing I think you can ever come upon in a jungle. Terry O'Quinn <laughs> sitting in a chair at a table with a lamp playing cards that sound like knives um yep yeah that's Uh, about it they could have been done right there and it would have already been the most terrifying thing they could have done but mm -hmm. uh yeah and to point out that this this, the table he is sitting at is the table that the we found out in our flashback the psychic um was sitting at it's the same table, so oh, it's telling. I didn't even she remembers know that. that. Oh man, yeah. that's such a good little thing. I knew that there was stuff that I was missing in that opening, but man, mm-hmm. that's really cool. Yeah, I thought about that when I watched it again. I'm like, yeah, that's the table, that's the lamp. So it's from her past. She's remembering that that clearly had an effect on her. Mm-hmm. Um, Locke's playing. Co- he's he's has tarot cards. I think mm-hmm. is what he's looking at there, which I thought. Oh. When I first watched this again, preparing for this episode, I'm thinking, "Oh, does he use tarot cards in her flashback?" He never does, mm. so I'm not sure where that came from necessarily. It's fortune teller elements, so maybe that's what they were trying to get at there, sure. um, implying that you know she's thinking about this fortune teller who told her um, that she has to raise the baby. 
Mm-hmm. So. And, well, and in a way, you know, like it's interesting because they throughout Lost, you know, there's there's kind of dream sequences that have, you know, deeper meaning for for what the characters are going through. And, you know, at first glance, it certainly seems like um, this. I, I think there is something to be said for this dream having some sort of like premonition uh, elements to it, you know, like the the island showing Claire something. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are definitely elements of that, but there's also elements like like you were just saying of she, uh, her own personality, like her own anxiety, like Jack later diagnoses, is coming through because she's remembering the psychic and then she's also thinking through um you know i forget exactly what Locke says but he says you know Mm -hmm. like this is your fault because you were going to give him up or whatever you know um and so it definitely feels like the dream is the dream is somewhat motivated by her anxiety and fear of like what what she was meant to do and she didn't do Mm -hmm. but i also think the the whole element of Locke being in the dream and having the the one eye that's black and the one eye that's white Mm -hmm. um and how we've already seen some symbolism of that with the two rocks in the cave and Locke playing the game um with Walt and two sides you know one is light and one is dark and all that um I feel like that is the element that I'm like ah it feels like the island is you know somehow something is showing her is manipulating her um and is almost revealing like oh there's something larger at play here but i don't know how much you know like the actual like jacob man in black storyline or any of that plays into it but um but yeah i feel like there's we're maybe supposed to get two different things going on in that whole dream sequence but yeah, you you bring up an interesting point because um, I had this theory uh, a while ago when I was going through uh, rewatch. Um, there's a lot of dreams in Lost. Uh, this is the first one we ever we've encountered, but I had this theory, and I'm not so sure about it. Where you're saying, you know, is it island um, influenced? I'm. Th- because in later episodes, I won't get too much into those. We can talk about them when they come. Uh, I feel like some of the dreams are monster influenced. It's clear that the monster is getting inside a character's head mm. and making them see things uh, in order to manipulate them. Uh, I don't know if this is what that's the case here. Because uh, mm-hmm. in some of those dreams, like there's a later one Locke has, they're in the dream there are noises that sound like the monster. If you, I think it's one of the most clever things Lost can do sometimes in the sound editing. There's like, there's the, like the roller coaster noise, like the, you know, the going Mm up. And so I'm like, Oh, that's the monster. The monster's giving him the dream. And so when I watch this one coming back, I'm thinking, is there that noise? There's no, no monster noises in Claire's dream. Um, So I'm thinking, I don't, I don't think this was, necessarily monster influenced um because mm. claire hasn't really 
encountered the monster. So there's that. I think it's more anxiety influenced. Although, yeah, you, you do bring up a good point, like the, the light and the dark and Locke's eyes. Uh, what, where's that coming from? That could like also, that. like the whole light and dark thing, you know, as I'm thinking about it, like that's a really clever thing for the writers to put in there because obviously we are, um, we've seen, you know, white and black be uh, symbols so far in the series and we're trying to piece together the mysteries going on. But that also, I don't know if they were really thinking this through as far as, you know, like um, theories people would have about this, but um, it could just be a misdirect, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as she's thinking through symbolism of, um, you know, tarot cards and all that stuff, white and black are very easy symbols of like good and bad, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I, I think the the knee-jerk reaction is to think something like kind of mystical or uh, like premonition-based is happening. And then the more you look at it, it's like, oh, maybe like Jack said, she's just really stressed. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's a combination. Um, yeah. I think it's important you mentioned what Locke says in the dream. I think that's the most important part of the dream where he says... He was your responsibility, but you chose to give him away. Speaking of Aaron, um, everyone pays the price now mm. is the line. And it's it's that line makes you think, well, what does that mean? So it, she, no, she chose to give him away. Now Every, everyone pays the price. Um, and I think it's kind of Claire's, we're seeing Claire's guilt. She feels guilty because she was going to give him away. She, um, even though the psychic told her not to. Um, and then even when she decided to go with his plan, she's still going to give him away. Mm. Um, and I think it's just kind of, she feels sort of, she feels guilty for it. Um, giving choosing to give him away because apparently danger surrounds him uh and maybe that's what the light and dark is you know Mm. good versus evil if she gives she's choosing to give aaron away and she's something evil is going to happen who knows what that is um it's that and i think also the line everyone pays the price now could also relate to her on the island because she chose to go with the psychic's plan and that's what landed her on the island. And now mm. everyone on the island is literally paying the price because she is, as she's mentioned before in past episodes, a ticking time bomb. Um, we see that in this episode where Jack and Kate are talking and Jack's like, she's going to have the baby soon. And we kind of look at each other like, Oh boy, what's going to happen then? Mm. Um, so I think it's sort of a combination of her anxieties all coming together in a sort of just a hodgepodge of nonsense that kind of half makes sense. Mm-hmm. Which totally, yeah, well, it, it makes sense because like of all the characters who would be having a stressful experience, a stressful, um, you know, so many stresses all together, of course it would be Claire, you know, right now um, expecting a baby very soon 
um, on an island, you know, um, this is not at all what she had planned, like all of that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, it just makes sense to see all of those anxieties manifest themselves in a, a truly terrifying dream. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and we haven't even gotten to the end of the dream yet. <laughs> oh, gosh. I can't do it. I can't do it. Uh, yeah, every time I, especially back when, you know, when younger, first time watching this, just, okay, she goes to the crib and there's the planes there clearly symbolizing, you know, the crash and everything. And then pulling back those blankets. That, I mean, about as gross as it can get. Just a yep. bunch of blood, um, which just a great transition from that to her waking up and that scream that mm-hmm. uh, just blood curdling. Uh, imagine waking up to that, <laughs> waking up horrifying, at, at not just a dream that you had, but you actually physically injured yourself by digging your nails a quarter inch into your palm. Oof. Mm-hmm. Painful, but uh Charlie does his best to calm her down. Give him credit there. Yeah. Charlie's trying throughout Charlie's this trying. whole episode. He, he's doing his best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So Claire wakes up. We're on the island. Um, and we're, we're having this whole thing. It sets up in the episode now. We, she, she had this dream. And it kind of sets up two characters in the episode with Jack and Charlie. Um, where Jack, on one hand, is trying to help Claire, being very scientific, very pragmatic. Charlie obviously cares about Claire and is trying to help her in a very relational way, you know? Mm -hmm. And we see Claire open to Jack's help at first there. They have that conversation where Jack's asking her about everything and trying to help her. Um, and then we see the conversation with Charlie, uh, where Charlie says, I could be your friend. And Claire's yep. distant. So it's, it's interesting, like the two different approaches, you know, Jack is of course being the pragmatic doctor and Charlie is trying to be the friend and ultimately, neither of them really succeeds. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but yeah, it it is interesting. That's a really good um, thing to point out right at the beginning that Jack, you know, wins her over a little bit, and Charlie doesn't. But um, yeah, well, you can understand Claire. She needs a doctor. The doctor's there. You're gonna listen to him um, right up top. As he's trying to help you, he's trying to give you advice. Clearly, she's stressed about being pregnant on the island. Um, her aversion, though, to Charlie, I think to explain that, we have to kind of get into the flashbacks, mm. um, which we see in the flashbacks that Claire was in a relationship, of course. You can't, uh, here's the science portion of the uh, podcast you can't make a baby. Uh, without first being in a re- relationship between a man and a woman. Um, well, that so makes that, sense. That's the, that's the science portion of this uh, podcast. You're welcome out there, everyone, for explaining <laughs> that. You can't say we didn't have science. No. I, w- I won't get into any more specifics about that, but uh, 
let's just we'll leave it at that <laughs> um and so we f- uh, we find out that you know claire is pregnant um and she's just so upset and so thomas her boyfriend calms her down and says hey you know what this might be the best thing ever and he says, I love you, which, I mean, I, you understand why Claire would just, that would calm her down. And that would, you know, because it's it's one of those situations where you just, you're, you feel very helpless. You're like, this is coming. I can't do anything about it. But you can with someone to support you. It's someone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that whole scene, like just that first flashback scene um, almost plays to me like a short film um, because it's like over the course of only like, you know, probably a three minute, four minute scene, you go through like this perfect summary of their relationship at that point. They, They don't really need to like that you get details about Claire and you know her her family she says like my mom would disown me and mm-hmm. he's like you know you're she kind of already basically already has you know all of that stuff um and you get the dynamics between them so well so quickly and by the end of the scene even though we know that this guy is no longer around for her um the I, I, you can't help but feel like, oh man, I wish it worked. Mm-hmm. You know, I wish that it worked out for these two. And I have to say part of that, um, you know, the, the fact that you want to root for them by the end of that scene is absolutely due in part to Michael Giacchino and the music. Um, <laughs> because yeah, the music yeah. begins to play right as Thomas is, you know, saying like, it could be the best thing ever. And then, like, this beautiful cinematic score begins to play underneath it. So, of course, it's tugging at the heartstrings. You know, it's like, oh, man, it could be. And, of course, it's it's not. You know, it's not going to work out. But um, that, that whole scene, I just love um, the way they cover so much ground in such little space. Um, yeah. And then, you know, I mean, right after that, like you were saying, you know, it explains how we get to Claire and her negative response to Charlie. Because even in that scene, as Charlie is saying, like that super sweet line, you know, like I could be your friend. The same exact music is playing underneath him saying that. Hmm. And um, I just, in rewatching this episode, I always remembered liking the scene with Charlie and how kind he is in that moment, you know, just trying to say like, like we could be friends, you know, I don't have to, we don't have to braid each other's hair or anything like that's just kind of a fun classic Charlie thing. Yeah. But I thought it was so interesting the way they played both of those scenes exactly the same and have the same music kind of start to play right as the guy is trying to win Claire over. Um, it really just sets up, you know, of course she would have a negative response because of the way that first story ended but yeah yeah you could bring up a good point we don't give enough shout outs to michael giacchino 
So mm. shout out to Giacchino. You're the real MVP. Um, so good. So good. The, the score of Lost is, uh, as far as TV scores go, I don't think there's a better one. Um, oh, absolutely. I, I feel like the the music in Lost, I don't, I don't know of any other show that has music that, I don't know, like can can encapsulate so many different emotions and be so iconic. You know, as soon as you hear it, it's like, oh, that's from Lost. You know, it's just a mm-hmm. distinct sound. But well, I don't think there are any. I don't know if there are any other shows out there. If you took away the score, that that would ruin the show. Mm. Lost wouldn't be Lost without the music. Um, it just. You, it'd be an interesting experiment to watch these episodes without the music. I don't think mm-hmm. they would hold up. Um, or even like a lesser score, you know, like a score from just another TV series that's just kind of average, you know? Yeah. Yep. But I, I like that point you bring up about, yeah, the same music under both Charlie and Thomas, which is clearly setting up the, the, the these two are similar, um, in Claire's life, and you understand why Claire rejects Charlie here because we see in the other in the the other flashback with Thomas. Uh, I think we can jump there, where it it's just it's it's one of those where it's so realistic. This scene when Thomas comes back in, they they play it so naturally, in that you can see this come. You they're young, you know in that first scene they're young and the guy says i love you and she falls for it they're young and now in this scene they play it up claire is acting more mature Um, she's putting up drapes which she mentions drapes represent age uh Mm. like her mom um and you can just see it in his face where he's like i just can't commit because i'm i'm young uh he he's experiencing that selfishness that comes with youth where he's like, no, I Claire, I can't do this. I got, what about my painting? What about me? What about everything that I want to do with my life? This baby's not going to let me do that. Mm. Uh, and in that, in that scene, he, there's a line where Claire says, I knew this was going to happen. And he goes, Oh, here we go again. You bringing up your daddy abandonment crap. Um, where is it went like just like in that first scene you were mentioning where they have that little tidbit about her mom disowning her. Now we have the other tidbit about oh Claire's dad also disowned mm-hmm. her basically by run, running away. So Claire's basically not really, of course, because I think her mom's still in her life, technically, as you can see, but she's an orphan. Mm-hmm. She's been disowned by the people who raised her, which. I, I posit that the the name of this episode, Raised by Another, has kind of a dual meaning where we're both talking about her baby, but also Claire. She's not been raised really. I mean, she's been raised by her parents, but obviously that hasn't, that's not a part of her life anymore. Um, and so we're seeing Claire, she's, she's really clinging to Thomas. And now Thomas is abandoning her, abandoning her too. And he's also blaming her, which is insane, where he's saying, you, you didn't take your birth control pills. Mm-hmm. And so Claire feels the weight of the world um, coming, crashing down on her because she put her faith in another person 
once again, and that's why she knew it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. So, just yeah. heart wrenching. Oh, absolutely. And you know, I mean, in just these two flashback scenes alone, uh, the range of emotions between, um, you know, uh, both Emily De Raven uh, mm-hmm. as Claire, and then I don't know the actor's name who plays Thomas, but um, you know, both of them do such a good job in both scenes of showing just this complete we only get these two scenes that show a complete range of a relationship um and yeah like you were saying it it feels um it's so sad and feels so realistic um and i also just think it's it's interesting to see thomas like his explanation for why he's leaving is all just saying you know like, oh, I can't be responsible, I can't do all this stuff, which at least he realizes it, but man, that's horrible, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Um, like, he's not just saying, like, oh, you know, Claire, you're... I mean, he blames her for, for the pregnancy, but he doesn't say, you know, that here's here's all these things I don't like about you. He's just saying, like, oh, I... This is unfair to me, and I'm... Um, I can't handle it, which is like, well, I guess at least you're self-aware enough to know that's the reason, but it's horrible. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So you really can't blame Claire for that scene with Charlie where she's, her hesitance is natural. It's, she doesn't want to get hurt yet again. Um, and, and Char, you think about Charlie's perspective too, where he's, from what we know of Charlie, he's very, he wa- he wants to have some purpose and he's reaching out to her. He's, he's looking for that purpose in his life because he can't find it in his music. Like we talked about in the moth mm-hmm. and it's, it's just not there. And Charlie gets it. He's like, I, you know, I, I still haven't found it. Um, and to his credit, he's not going to force it. So, mm. just. well, and and I like later on in the episode um, how you know just talking about like the dynamics between Claire and Charlie. When Charlie says, "You know, I like you," she's like, "No, you don't like me. You just want someone to, you know, like save, basically." Mm-hmm. Um, and I love how I feel like she just understood something about Charlie that charlie didn't understand about himself until she pointed it out it almost feels like because i think he's really earnestly is saying you know he likes her and, and he cares about her but i think that she i think he does you know care about her but i think mm. she found something true about charlie that he wasn't even aware of yet in that you know he is looking to be like a hero or a savior or like he wants to, like you were saying, have a purpose. Um, and so in some ways is motivated by that in this episode as well. Um, mm-hmm. I, I love the dynamic between the two of them, but I think she, you know, realizes something that maybe he wasn't even realizing yet until she pointed it out. But it's yeah. an interesting, it's an interesting thread throughout the episode. For sure. For sure. So unfortunately, though, 
you know, she kind of rejects, she, she doesn't reciprocate with Charlie. And Claire chooses then in that moment kind of to go it sort of on her own. You know, she's mm. alone. Um, and we could talk about more about that choice, but um, I think might now might be a good time to, I think we're about due to take a break. So yeah. why don't we take a break and we will resume talking about Raised by Another after this. Welcome back to See You in Another Life, brothers. Uh, when we left, poor Claire um, had just rejected Charlie's advances and is now left kind of alone. Um, and I had an interesting thought about that, where I do I wonder if Charlie, if she had agreed, yeah, I can be your friend, let Charlie be your friend. Would this whole thing with, um, you know, what we get next with the whole someone tries to inject Claire with something in the middle of the night have happened? Oh. It's just a thought I just had where it's like, because a lot of what happens with Claire in this episode with Ethan and everything happens because she rejects, you know, she rejects Jack, she rejects Charlie, she goes off on her own. Interesting. Um, and that's what leaves her vulnerable to Ethan. And I think there's kind of a lesson. The show, once again, the show, live together, die alone. Mm. Uh, we see that with Claire, where she chooses. I don't know if this would have been the case. She's just sleeping in the caves. So, But she's probably sleeping away from everyone else, possibly. I don't know. And mm-hmm. that gives Ethan the opportunity to come and try to inject her with whatever that was. Right. Yeah. I think there's something to that. I mean, I, you know, as, as a larger theme for the series, you know, live together, die alone, even just in that regard. Yeah. Like when, when the characters split up in general, bad things happen, you know, like uh, that when they stick together, it works better for them. Um, but also, yeah, I mean, like Charlie probably, if she had been okay with, you know, him and, and wanted him to stick around, he probably would have felt a responsibility to be closer to her at night. Um, you know, at least, you know, everyone's kind of sleeping in a similar proximity, mm-hmm. but because of her reaction, he probably was like, oh, I better give her quite a bit of distance, you know? <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that's a really interesting thought. I feel like there's a lot of that in this episode of like, what, what would have happened if, you know, this hadn't happened, but, yeah. um, but yeah. yeah, so then she, uh, has another episode in the middle of the night, but this yeah. time <laughs> it's, uh, it's not just Locke in her dreams. No, this one is actually, as we find out, pretty real, which I had the thought, once again, going back to that dream, um, it does seem strange that she would have that dream like the night before Ethan tries to get her the first time. Mm. Uh, just seems like too much of a coincidence, which made me think, is this the monster um, kind of making it into a boy who cried wolf situation where mm. he gives her that dream so that she's be- she'd become less credible when Ethan tries to take her away uh, mm. or tries to inject her. 
that sort of thing. Cause you know, I, I love when that happens and we have the scene where Jack springs into action and comes and he and Michael are at questioning her and the look on Michael's face in particular is really, I thought really well acted where he's looking at Jack and they're kind of looking at each other. Like when she's saying he had a needle and everything and they're like, mm. okay, yeah, she's having another dream. Uh, it, it naturally puts that skepticism in their minds um, mm-hmm. and makes her less credible, unfortunately. Well, there is also, you know, the possibility that Ethan saw this opportunity, mm. you know, like, oh, she had a nightmare last night. Then if she wakes up, people might just think it's a nightmare, <laughs> you know, like it's maybe true. this is a perfect opportunity for me to do this because if if she wakes up, you know, who's going to believe the night after, you know, she had that panic attack that, you know, someone tried to attack her, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. Could be just a, a very clever move on his part, but. That's true. I, I, I think that might be more of a likely thing where it's like, he's very clever. And he thinks this is my chance. Cause I, he's got these injections that he needs to make. And he's got to find a time to do it. Might as well do it now. Mm-hmm. Um, so he does. And of course, they get the whole thing with she's hysterical and everything. And I also think um, maybe it's a good time. I know we're kind of jumping around, but having the thought where it's uh, Claire chooses to be alone um from people uh going back to the flashbacks um when she and her friend decide to go to the psychic we can talk about that Mm -hmm. um she has a line in there which is really i think telling you can kind of look over it where her friend's like oh come on it's what's fun and claire's like I don't need someone telling me what's going to happen or how to live my life. Mm. She says that right after she's been talking about Thomas, because she has him in her life now. He is her, a word that will come to have significance later, her constant. Mm. Um, Or she sees him as that. And so she's like, I don't need anyone to tell me what to do. Um, And and so they go to the psychic. But I think it's telling because only it's only after Thomas leaves that she finally decides, hey, I, I do want to hear what the psychic has to say, mm. um, which That's he doesn't really have that point. tether anymore. Yeah. Uh, and I also think that it's significant that, you know, her both her parents disowned her. Um, and if she had had parents, good parents in her life, she wouldn't have gone to the psychic after Thomas left her. I don't think mm-hmm. she would have gone to her parents. Maybe possibly, but she doesn't have anything in her life anymore to tell her what to do. It, you notice in these flashbacks throughout it, she goes to see that couple where she's going to give the baby away. She's alone. She doesn't have anyone other than her, I guess her friend kind of, but not mm-hmm. even that she decides, you know, she's, She's untethered, and that's when she finally decides to listen to this psychic. Mm. 
So. That's a really, I think there's a, there's a theme that's really cool throughout all of this stuff that like Claire being alone is like the worst thing that could happen. You know, like it, it just in all of these circumstances when she's alone, it's not good. Mm-hmm. Um, That kind of plays into, so I, I was mentioning before we started recording, I have a theory about the episode. Yeah. Um, and so this is kind of connecting all of the dots of the uh, the psychic, you know, in, in each of mm-hmm. the flashbacks with that. But um, I've always I've always just been curious about the whole psychic thing, and I love the storyline and the twist at the end of the episode. The idea that maybe he did know, you know, that mm-hmm. sending her to the island would mean, or sending her on that flight would mean she'd be on the island, and then she would be forced to raise this baby herself. Um, But I wonder if maybe the entire time, you know, and this is assuming that the psychic really was a psychic, um, which, you know, is, is up for grabs. But I wonder if maybe what he saw was not actually anything bad happening to the baby but if he saw that Claire being separated from the baby would be detrimental for her because mm. yeah. throughout the episode, you know, it, it just makes me wonder when you see the way the course of the entire series goes for Claire. Yeah. When, when she gets separated from Aaron, um, you know, much, much later and everything, Kate, is forced to bring Aaron with them when they leave the island, so she's separated. Claire loses her mind. And yeah. there's a bunch of things that go into that. But I wonder if the psychic knew separation yeah. for Claire would be detrimental for her because when she loses her mind and she's crazy on the island, I mean, she's crazy. Yes. Um, And I wonder if it would be detrimental to all the people that she would come encounter that she would encounter in her life. And it would just be too much and it would drive her to insanity. And so I wonder if that's why he's so insistent because he's saying, um, if you give up this baby, then you don't even know what you're losing. Um, so he tries to scare her into, you know, not giving the baby up. I don't know. I don't know if that's what they intended but I just thought it was a really interesting idea. And even that the themes we're talking about there of her when she's alone, it's that's when bad stuff happens. Mm-hmm. So maybe, I don't know. I, I'm curious if that has any credibility or if it's just a fun thing for me to think about. But either way, that's kind of what you do when you watch Lost. <laughs> no, but. I really, really like that. I didn't even think about that. That's, I think you, I, of all the interpretations we could have, I think I, I really like that one because I, I just kept thinking about the danger surrounds this child. I'm like, what is he going to grow up to be like a serial killer that without mm-hmm. Claire, that sort of thing. I just kept going through all those. And you think about the rest of the sh- series and you're like, it's like, it's one of those where it's like, would they set that up and not, you know, do anything. It's like putting a gun in a scene and not having it go off anytime in the series. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I like to believe that, no, they, they like you're saying, maybe the psychic, it's more of a Claire issue than an Aaron issue. Um, 
And, and I like the interpretation because I think it gets misinterpreted in this episode by Claire mm. because he says, this child raised by anyone else, he says this father's life won't have any part of the, this father won't have any part in this child's life raised by anyone else. Danger surrounds this child. And I think Claire takes that to mean, oh, I have to raise this child alone, which is not oh. the case. And I think that and she's like, I can't raise this child alone. That's that's what she keeps coming back to. I can't do it, but I have to. I don't know. I think there's part. Of, she heard that inter, you know, that thing, and she's like, "You're forcing me to raise this child alone," um, because his father won't play any part in his life, and I think that's what leads Claire to a lot of her, you know, decisions where she's she's saying, uh, "The psychic has gotten into her head," and she's going, "Well, I." <laughs> I can't raise this child alone. And if the only other option is to give it to this family in Los Angeles, okay, I'll do that. Mm. But, and then she had, but now she's stuck on the Island and now she has to raise it. And she's like, I, and that's why I think she has the dream with Locke. I, everyone pays the price now. Y you, it, I, I don't know it, but I, I like that interpretation mm -hmm. where, it's more of a Claire thing. I do think it's more of a Claire thing that, and uh, she, she misinterprets it and she feels like she has to bear the weight of the world on her own shoulders. Um, because mm. that's just the way it has to be. You know, one thing, even just thinking through it just a little bit more, like as you were talking and stuff, the, the, um, psychic at one point says something to Claire, like, you know, this child needs, needs you it needs your goodness um and to me you know like claire throughout the series is like you know a good character she's a good person but when um uh aaron gets taken from her that's when she turns and does crazy stuff and becomes kind of a dark character and all of this uh you know much much later um, mm -hmm. and I feel like, you know, I, I just always thought in that scene when he, when he is seeing her future, supposedly, you know, I always thought like, what if he sees much further than we even realize in this episode? And I feel like it just makes a lot of sense to me if he sees that her being apart from her child would mean that she would be giving up like her goodness and it would mm -hmm. mean, you know, the loss of herself in some way. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. The, 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 the other thing I wanted to mention about the whole psychic thing, just overall one question I have about the whole thing. Why in the world does he keep calling her in the middle of the night? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that has yeah. never made any sense what to me. What a weirdo. Like, if you want to yeah, be credible, it, it, call her during the day. <laughs> well, I think it, it conveys his desperation. Where I guess so. Maybe he can't sleep because he's so worried. Which, hmm, you think, why true. is he so worried about this woman? Um, And I think it also has to do with the fact that 
he he can sense around her that there's just something weird coming mm. with this whole like the blurriness i think has something to do with the fact that she's going to go to the island of course yeah. it's him who actually sends her to the island with the the plan he knew um and maybe he was trying to work his way around that you know you think about that where he maybe he was trying to exercise every other option trying to make convince her that she should keep the baby maybe that's what his, his other calls were because you know it's over months he's yeah. like yeah you should keep him because of this you should keep him because of this you're a good person and she just keeps rejecting that until until finally he's like okay i have to go that route that island route um that i was hoping to avoid but he finally decides this is the only option because she's going to literally she's gonna go give him away sure um there's a lot of different ways you can interpret this psychic. I, I I love the ambiguity of Lost. I think it's it makes for this type of thing where we can have this conversation. Where if we, you know, if it were they were like, okay, they answered this and there was no ambiguity, it wouldn't be as fun. The mm-hmm. psychic is is interesting, and he's it, it's just it adds a level of mysticism to the show um, that's really really intriguing. Um, and just a lot of fun. So mm-hmm. I think I've, especially in this rewatch, uh, enjoyed that aspect of lost. And I feel like that's something that, um, unfortunately is, is why a lot of people didn't like, you know, the ending and, and different parts of it. Uh, but why I continue to enjoy it more, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, is, you know, stuff like this. Um, I actually related to that. I watched, um, uh, uh, Twin Peaks a few months ago. Um, mm-hmm. You know, just the original series. I haven't seen the... I know that they did an updated thing a couple years ago, but um, I was just curious. I've heard so many things about it, and Damon Lindelof, you know, one of the co-creators of Lost and everything, uh, has referenced that as, like, a big influence for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as I was watching it, it was it's basically a series that just has a bunch of unanswered questions and it's like um you know they would introduce someone who's like oh are they a psychic i don't know and you know they predict something that happens or someone sees like a premonition or something and then it predicts something that'll happen later and then there's a bunch of surreal elements but it just made me appreciate uh and enjoy lost a little bit more watching something that was an influence for it because it really was just like, um, there's all this random stuff happening that we don't need an answer for. What's interesting is seeing how it propels all these characters forward. Um, and that's what I love about, especially like an episode like this. Um, I really, I was, I was not, you know, in particular looking forward to this episode as compared to other episodes of Lost, but I really enjoyed it. Um, this is one that I had, was not expecting to enjoy very much and really found it interesting for all of that, all of those reasons. There's so much stuff that is like, um, what's going on here? Are they setting something up? What theories can we figure out from here? And um, and it's just fun storytelling, having having so many twists in one short episode. Yeah. Yeah, and I think what you're pointing out there is... Like with, I haven't seen Twin Peaks, but I get the idea where there's 
Same with Lost. There's a lot of weird stuff going on, and it's all impacting these characters. And the characters are the central thing that the engine of the the, the series. And there's a lot of truth that you can mine from these characters, even though there's a lot of weird stuff going on that we're not so sure about. Mm. Um, and in this episode in particular, and with Claire, I think the central thing in her mind, apart from all the questions about whether, you know, is the psychic, did the psychic know what, what's the deal with this fortune and everything with Claire at the center, her, her central conflict is, that she she wants to have someone you mm. know in her life like her parents or Thomas or someone and again and again that's letting her down and i think it brings us i want to bring us to that flashback where she's going to give the baby away and that scene that uh probably the most memorable well, not the most memorable, there's more memorable, but the most emotionally impactful scenes in the episode mm. where she, the pen doesn't work, but, but, but even before the pen doesn't work, they're telling her, Claire, you're going to give up your parental rights. And before she, get, she's like, okay, I'll give them up. But before I give them up, she asks the woman to, if she knows, catch a falling star and put it in your pocket which is a song and it's so significant that her dad used to sing to her, mm. her dad who gave her away. She, and I think in that moment she's sent, she's realizing I'm going to give this baby away just like my dad gave me away. Mm. And you can argue whether, you know, the pen not working was an Island thing, was a Jacob thing, was a, who knows what caused that pen, those pens not to work. But the thing you can't argue about is that in Claire's heart, she realized I can't do this because I can't do to this baby what my dad did to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's how I see it anyway. Of course she does go to the psychic and ask him, you know, what's the other option and the option is still to give it away, but I don't know. Any, yeah, it's it's a great scene. I I love that. Yeah, and I love it because, um, I feel like I didn't I didn't even think about you know I I everything about her dad in the episode went right over my head, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I like pointing that out. It's like oh my gosh, that was right in front of our face. You know, like wow, that's amazing. Um, but one thing that I like about the scene with the whole pen not working is that I don't know there's something so delicate about one pen not working mm-hmm. and then another pen not working and then she doesn't try the third pen no um and I feel like it's like just enough you know two of them not working is like just enough where the third pen might have worked but at that point it was like you know, so I don't know, like Lost has all these like supernatural things. I feel like it was just enough to be like, hey, are, are you sure? Are you really sure? All right, now it's in, you know, like I feel like 
she it wouldn't have been a thing where she kept trying all these pens and then they wouldn't she she has no choice in mm-hmm. the matter but it almost felt like you know two times there's going to be some pushback but maybe on this third try it's like are you sure you want to do this you know and at that point she was like i have to know what this other option is you know i don't feel good about this yeah. um yeah such a such a well played scene and so emotional but you're right about the number of pens you you think about that that, that it's the the tone of the scene is perfect because it just only two pens and then she doesn't try the third you think about how the tone of that sh- scene would shift if she tried the third and the fourth and the it would turn into kind of a horror movie almost once again mm-hmm. we have these horror aspects where she's like i want to give this baby i can't i can't i have no choice no it two times and you see it, it's her choice her heart's not in it um which makes the scene a lot more delicate and beautiful than it would be if she couldn't do it multiple times which i think when i think about the the episode you know i had, hadn't watched it in a while if you ask me how many times does Claire try the pen? I would have said, oh, it's 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 crazy because she tries it like five or six times and it doesn't mm-hmm. work. And no, she just tries it twice and then she leaves. And that's that's showing her heart is still for the, the child and the fact that she asks the mom to put the sing, catch a star and put it in your pocket. Mm. Uh, it's a lot more beautiful in that way. So that's how yep. you, that's, it's just those details of the scene that were so well done so precise Mm -hmm. yeah there's there's so much in this episode that that i really like yeah that and that scene alone is right there is so cool but Mm -hmm. so yeah claire as we see she decides to uh go with the psychic's decision the psychic tells her it has to be 815 um there's a I, i do think it's interesting that he lied to her about the money that's just kind of almost like a scumbag Cheap. thing. It's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'll give you six thousand. You'll get the other six thousand in uh, in Los Angeles. There ain't no, <laughs> there ain't no couple in Los Angeles. Um, or was there? Maybe there. Oh, no, there wasn't. I think we can pretty <laughs> safely say there wasn't. Yeah. Um, but so he sends her on her way. We know what happens after that, and now it kind of brings us back to what's going on on the island. Um. And I, I want to talk about Claire and Jack uh, because now we have Jack skeptical of this whole thing. And we have the scene where he's talking to Kate and Charlie about everything. And he says, no, this is just, he's, he's being very scientific about it and saying these are stress induced dreams. It could have a, it, as it actually does, you know, to his credit, it does trigger a false labor and trigger you know thankfully it's a false labor and not a real one um but um and so we have the the conflict between him and charlie once again where charlie says no it's she's not making this up and jack is oh yeah she is so we get the conversation between her and jack um and one thing i never noticed about this conversation is that Jack is talking, he's, he's talking to Claire and he's saying, let me see if I can find the line where he says, this situation we're in, 
the crash, that no one's coming, this place, it can kind of mess with your head a little bit and make you see things that aren't actually there. Which I never thought about that's a direct reference to White Rabbit. Wow. I can't believe that line was even in this episode. Like, as you said it right there, I was like, oh, he's talking about White Rabbit. That was Mm -hmm. in this episode? (laughs) Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. And so Jack, Jack is lit. He is, you you know, you see White Rabbit and it's this whole emotional episode and everything. And you think, and you never really do get like direct reference to it afterwards from Jack, except for here. I think this is the only time maybe, maybe he references it later, but he, he indirectly references it here and dismisses it. He's like, it's making you see things that aren't actually there. When he literally saw his father ran after him, open the casket, there was no body. That all happened. But I think Jack has completely rejected it mm-hmm. and said, that's not real. Um, and he's trying to help Claire um, in, in a way that he's, he's trying to sedate her, basically, so that she doesn't have to deal with that stuff because Jack doesn't want to process it himself. Man, so, yeah, that's really cool. I, man, that's just a a cool, like, obviously intentional thing, you know that that he's kind of mapping onto her his own experience, um, and it could go undetected. I never noticed that. Man, mm-hmm. Lost is just full of good stuff. Yeah, and in doing so, he is driving Claire away of course, by completely dismissing her reality. Right. Uh, and Which will deal with the fallout from that in the next episode. And boy, <laughs> we've got the recipe for burnt out Jack. Here it is. Um, step one, uh, make a mistake uh, in driving Claire away. He couldn't have known that this would obviously lead to where it goes, but he feels responsible afterwards because, well, Jack, you... you kind of dismissed something that clearly was an actual threat mm-hmm. uh, and it led down a bad spot. Um, and yep. Claire says, I'm sick of people telling everyone telling me what to do. She storms off. She, she's still like, I have to just deal with this on my own. Everyone else is trying to either take advantage of dismiss me or, you know, they don't treat me as a person or that sort of thing. And so she runs off into the traipses off into the jungle, as Charlie points out, brilliant, making everyone <laughs> convincing everyone that you're sane. Yeah. And uh so um would you look at that? I, I think unless you have any other thoughts before we why don't we take another break and maybe we can talk about the rest of this episode after this that sounds good to you yeah absolutely all right let's take a break and we'll be right back with more see you and another life brothers after this welcome back to see you and another life brothers um when we left we were talking about claire she's traipsed off into the jungle and charlie's following her um and nothing good can come of that so i'm getting <laughs> a little uncomfortable can we can we uh can we talk about Hurley? I think it's about time for that. 
Let's talk about Hurley. Oh, I think this is going to be my favorite parts of these episodes when we can just kick back, relax, talk about lovable old Hurley. <laughs> oh, don't you love Hurley? I love Hurley. What a guy. Honestly, Hurley always has. Yeah. Honestly, just, you know, the the light uh, side of this episode that it really needed. Yes. Yeah. Hurley. I mean, he played that two episodes in a row now. It's solitary with the golf course where we might, we needed that. And once again, mm-hmm. Hurley coming in clutch with uh, a great idea. I mean, without this, without the census, uh, what, what, everyone would be like, okay, where'd Claire and Charlie go after a while? And <laughs> it would have taken a lot longer to figure out and would not get too far ahead, but would Charlie have survived? Oh boy. Oh um, boy. But so Hurley comes up with the idea, gives it, comes it up, comes up with it to Jack. And I don't think Jack's fully on board with it necessarily, which is interesting. He's kind of like, okay, yeah, go ahead and do that, Hurley. I don't, because he still doesn't believe necessarily that Claire's fully telling the truth. So he's like, go ahead and do your thing, Hurley. That's fine. That makes sense. But. Jack's not fully on board, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and well, and I love the fact that just as he introduces, like the conversation between Jack and Hurley, the idea comes up so organically. Um, for Hurley, you know, thinking of like, you know, who who are Scott and Steve, um, <laughs> and that whole thing. Um, mm-hmm. I just love that so much of the episode even the way they're like inserting ethan throughout different scenes yep um when you know where the episode ends up in a rewatch it almost feels like oh my gosh you know it it would be easy for it to be like oh man this is so obvious um where this is going but that scene where he introduces the idea of doing a census it just makes so much sense in that moment that you don't think of like, oh, where where is this going to lead? Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's so cleverly done because it just makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Making the perfect, the, the ingredients for that final scene. Hurley's got to do the census. I also did think it's funny how, just a side note, the previously ons for this episode, where it's kind of like the whole recap of Saeed going like, Oh yeah, the French transmission and then sight, which plays like such a tiny factor in, but it plays a huge. It, it it's hugely important for that final scene, for the drama of it all. That Saeed comes back at that moment. <laughs> I just thought it was funny. Like we have to do this whole previously <laughs> on for something that hap- doesn't happen until like forty minutes into the episode. That's true. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Weird. It's a weird previously on. And it goes on for a long time. I'm noticing that about these early early previously ons. They do go on a long time. Um, mm. which can be annoying when you've <laughs> you've seen the show as many times as we have. Um, <laughs> trying to get to the actual episode. Yep. But so back to Hurley. He's gonna do the census, and it also creates the ingredients for <laughs> the, probably the best scene of the whole episode, I think we can agree. <laughs> With him and Locke. Uh, this, I love this scene. Um, both because it, it, it's Locke at his most 
profound, but it's also Hurley at his most hilarious. Um, it's it's one of those scenes that I've forgotten about. Uh, I wrote in my notes, um, Hurley getting creeped out by Locke is my favorite forgotten moment so far. Um, yeah. Because <laughs> I, you know, there are certain details you forget and just the scene, the way it plays out with Locke, you know, I was I was looking for something. Hurley, did you find it? He's like, no. Looks up at the mountains. It found me. And mm-hmm. just the way Hurley is like, oh, okay. And walks away like, hey, can you pretend like you're talking to me for a second? <laughs> like, <laughs> that is just so perfect. It's classic Hurley. Um, but I also think that, yeah, it's both hilarious and just a much needed reprieve from everything going on with Claire. Uh, but it's also telling how Locke responds where he's mm. saying, I was looking for something and it found me. No, it found me. Um, it shows his, he's like, he is clinging to this island. Something we've already kind of gotten a little bit where it's like, but he has fully embraced the island. Like, mm. this is my soulmate. Which, is that a good thing? Uh, as we know, you know, he's, this island's not a perfect place. I think Locke is seeing it as a perfect place and seeing it as all he needs when, you know, as we've said already, live together, die alone. He thinks, I can be alone and happy on this island. I think that's kind of Locke's almost, maybe that's Mm -hmm. Locke's perspective a little bit there. It found me. Although he does still, you know, he doesn't go off completely on his own. That would indicate that. But he's embraced this island as sort of a soulmate, which for better or for worse, that's where he's at. Mm-hmm. Tells a lot about his character. Yep. Yeah. Then, And just a few episodes from now, I mean, it's like kind of a tragic trajectory. You know, some some things coming up will happen you know where it's like it's not all it's not all good stuff happening here on this island john you know nope. um but but yeah i love i love so much in such a short little scene yep so we get that scene we also get a scene with another character who uh you know first time you watch this you probably think oh okay we're getting more with more time with this guy um, i can't wait for the ethan flashback so we get to see him hanging out in good old canada and uh, <laughs> whatever he did for a living and we get to understand ethan more oh yeah this guy ethan seems like a good guy he's he's gathering fruit for everyone <sighs> this guy's a this guy's a swell chap can't wait to hear more <laughs> about him right he uh, uh uh, when I was, you know, like I was saying earlier, some of this feels almost like, like how, how did we not realize, you know, like that he was, this guy just suddenly shows up. He's, you know, like suddenly in this episode and all that. Um, But I feel like if I was watching it for the first time, if I could try and forget about Lost, you know, and rewatch or watch it for the very first time. I feel like it because of the way they wrote that scene and then some of the later interactions with people, um, the fact that he asks at the end, like, what is this for? Mm-hmm. Um, that at first that seems like a dead giveaway, like, like, Oh, he's suspicious. Like, what is this for? But I mean, if it's, 
if it's a character we've seen a couple times, you know, and we haven't gotten his flashbacks yet, maybe we're wondering like, oh, does he have a past? You know, like, is he kind of like Kate? You know, he doesn't doesn't want to give away too much about himself. Um, and then other characters, even I think Boone asks, you know, like, yeah. what is this for? Um, and Hurley is like, why do people keep asking that? So um, yeah. so they did a really, really good job of misdirection because it feels like it should be obvious, but they put just enough in there Um to hide what what was really going on the whole time yeah that's a good point that boone and shannon scene i was thinking eh, this is kind of a throwaway scene but no that that does serve that purpose where um ethan's asking about it but boone and shannon are also asking about it so we know you know everyone's kind of un, uneasy about as you would be it's like your old like boone calls it your old patriot act <laughs> um everyone's kind of like eh, i don't feel so good about giving away my information that sort of thing mm. um yeah that boone and shannon and of course it also serves the purpose of you know getting to the manifest uh but one thing i wanted to mention for a second uh just something that stood out to me uh, that i wrote in my notes shannon's 20 oh my gosh i wrote the exact same thing <laughs> i wrote <laughs> shannon's 20 question mark question mark i feel so old <laughs> Yeah. Oh my gosh. We just weird. She you, you think about that in the context of the whole show and you're like she's supposed to be 20 years and and you wonder also is she lying about her age? Could be. Mm, you know. Could be. So, she she might not be 20, but it well uh, it was it was just weird to, you know, I mean even just I might have mentioned this already at some point, but like I when we started the rewatch and it was the pilot I think I looked up some of the actors' ages and stuff, and because I was just like, who, you know, I, I watched this basically, you know, as a preteen teenager and stuff, you know, like growing up watching it. So all adults are kind of adult age. Mm -hmm. Um, I was looking at some of the ages of them, you know, like, uh, I think Evangeline Lilly was like in her mid twenties. And I'm in my mid twenties now. <laughs> That's just such a weird feeling to be watching this. But for for a character to be twenty and I'm twenty five, that felt just very strange to realize. Mm hmm. Just like what? But uh, anyway, just <laughs> just a just weird one moment of those I had there. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway. So we get the we get Boone and Shannon, and then we get another gem of a scene, which you know, I'm coming to think of it, this what this I think the lock one's a little better, but this one with Sawyer, uh, mm -hmm. just I love Hurley coming up and just I'm gonna lay it out, lay it out there. <laughs> Look on <laughs> Sawyer's, you do that, because um, it's like it is funny, sort of a dramatic uh, comedic irony sort of thing where it's like we we know who Sawyer is. Hurley doesn't kind of fully know that Sawyer is this, he's the master con man that he's talking to here. <laughs> and, so, and Hurley's trying to persuade him. <laughs> the guy that knows every trick in a book. Uh, so it's just a fun little moment. Um, mm -hmm. I just like the line, sure know how to butter a man up, Stay Puff. <laughs> uh, another great nickname. Mm -hmm. Sawyer. I also but. just, one of those things uh that is so like weird but so funny 
um i just love sawyer's glasses like the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. sunglasses he's wearing because they they just say so much about his character that he just he's he's having a great time just lounging on the beach wearing some women's sunglasses because he doesn't care yeah <laughs> and and then hurley comes up you know and is buttering him up and all that stuff and i just think that is that is such a great scene i i love mm-hmm. all these kind of light moments in a very very heavy episode but mm-hmm. that's another thing about sawyer he's always lounging around um i can see why everyone would, would hate him for that reason too yeah <laughs> it's like everyone's out there foraging gathering doing you know sawyer's kicking back he doesn't care that guy yep. don't care about nothing um, <laughs> so he's just chilling um, but he does, to his credit, give Hurley the manifest. So we get that, which leads us to Saeed running through the jungle. Random cut of Sa- random <laughs> inner. Oh yeah, Saeed's here running through the. It, it almost made me think of like the uh, uh, Monty Python yeah. Holy Grail scene where Lancelot's running at the guys, just suddenly <laughs> out of nowhere. He's like, "There's Saeed." Um, that's so funny before you even said that i i was thinking about that sketch just because yeah yeah, just the the guy suddenly running like what (laughs) Mm -hmm. here he comes oh yeah saeed's here he's back um runs in uh and uh trying to figure out of course we know saeed from the last episode he was hearing whispers in the jungle and suddenly clearly he is convinced of course, he also was talking to Rousseau, and Rousseau was saying so, and so it's one of those where Saeed's now a believer that we're not alone, as he says to Jack, which mm. this this whole scene is just such a perfect combination of, we got Saeed saying that, we got Hurley coming in, we got Jack in the middle, getting him very burnt out, very fast. <laughs> <laughs> he's been simmering for so long and now yep hurley looking at jack dead in the eye getting distracting him from helping saeed with the leg and saying ethan wasn't on the ethan wasn't on the plane he wasn't in the manifest just and that gives you chills i there this scene is like a master class in um suspense um and just tension being perfectly built up for just this horrifying cliffhanger i i feel like i could quote that entire scene you know everything that's happening like saeed we're not alone you know jack one of them wasn't on the plane you know and that whole thing and then the cut to ethan in the woods Mm -hmm. i know all of that so well and i was still feeling you know goosebumps building up during that scene and like my like heart starting to race because it's just so well put together you're just on edge like wait he wasn't on the plane where did this guy come from it's so Mm -hmm. so terrifying um both the beginning and ending of this episode are such well put together just horrifying scenes um yeah they they did such a good job and it it was perfect for 
you know, the last few episodes have been kind of steadily leading towards this reveal that, oh, there's, there's people that were on this island first, and apparently they have ill intent for, you know, the people we've been following. Uh, yeah. It's so creepy. Yeah. Yeah, it's unsettling. The look on Ethan's face when they cut back to him, just mm-hmm. dead eyes, just looking at daggers at Claire. Um, it's unsettling. It's it's scary. Um, and I don't want to end our episode on that. Um, so let's... We, we did leave off with Claire. I do think we need to touch on how the arc ends there, of course. Mm. So we do have Charlie and Claire going off into the traipsing off into the jungle. Um, we have uh, the false labor suddenly induced when, uh, you know, they're arguing back and forth. And it's, and of course we have Charlie trying to help her. It, it, interestingly enough, he actually admits to using drugs <laughs> in the middle of that, which... You know, she, of course, forgets that after everything that goes on afterwards. But there's so much. And I think that that's what that ending is. So it's terrifying, but it's also tragic. There's so much that happens between Charlie and Claire here. It's, um, you know, the two of them, it's Charlie, it's Claire actually accepting Charlie's help finally. Mm. which I think is sort of the resolution of the episode. She's kind of combating, just resisting it. Um, and she says, go get Jack. And unfortunately, Charlie doesn't go all the way and get Jack. Instead, he tells Ethan, which mm. leads to where it goes. But the two of them together, kind of having that moment, that moment where Charlie believes Claire interestingly mm. you know where Jack was dismissing even the thought of Claire you know she, he, she's dreaming this is not real Charlie I mean, Claire tells Charlie about the psychic and Charlie gives credibility to it he's like you know what maybe you're maybe you're right maybe or maybe he knew Maybe there was a purpose to all this. Um, I think that kind of Claire feels like she's actually heard there Mm. for a change. Yeah, I think, yeah, it it is kind of cool to see. um, This episode has so many different resolutions to it. You know, there's the resolution of like kind of the twist ending of maybe the um, psychic knew all along. There's mm-hmm. the twist ending of Ethan's another, you know, like terrifying. Um, but then there's also, yeah, the resolution of Charlie winning over Claire, you know, just the fact that they are getting along and they are together at the end, um, you know, and that of course makes it tragic that the, that the next thing that happens is Ethan being there, but but yeah, the two of them, I love that resolution of um, them being okay with each other at the end. You know, she's okay with help from Charlie, um, mm-hmm. which is all he's wanted this whole episode. 
mm-hmm. to win her over and and yeah and they're they're good um at least for a few seconds <laughs> yeah as charlie says i told you i'd take care of you mm. and claire says thanks charlie and he says you're quite welcome which is that's sort of this suddenly they have their they have a relationship whereas before it was kind mm. of mm, all sorts of all over the place um and unfortunately the tragedy strikes and then we see later in the season where it's they have to kind of start all over again after mm-hmm. all this, you know, unfortunately. But um, in that moment, and then they have that nice moment where Claire's walking, they're walking through the jungle and he, you know, she feels the baby kick and mm-hmm. it's Charlie feel her stomach. And it's just it's such a sweet, but it's also really well structured by the, the creators of the episode where, the music, like Giacchino, you know, throughout that, that the whole thing where they're traping through the jungle, they have this eerie vibe that they're building where you can sense something's off. Mm-hmm. You can sense it even before you've, they have that scene with um, where he wasn't in the plane. You can just kind of sense it. Uh, mm-hmm. They build it really well. Um, and so... We finally f- come to Ethan saying the most creepy line, the most creepy version of this line that I think has been uttered on network television. I'm going to go out on a limb and say it right now. <laughs> hello there. Although, Ugh. hello there is kind of a unsettling greeting. <laughs> it's, it's just weird. It's a weird way to say hi. To, it's a sort of an old-fashioned hello there. Just say the hey. He come on. Say hi. What's up? How you doing? How you living? How's it going, guys? <laughs> but he says hello there. And yeah. the the look on Claire's face at the end is we close on with her with just the horror or the just the terror. Um sums up the episode, like you were yep. mentioning. Scary, unsettling. I didn't like it. <laughs> I liked so it. So good. It was such a good episode. It's good. Yep. Mm-hmm. So what will happen to Claire and Charlie? Will Jack get even more burnt out? Um, I guess we're going to have to find out on the next episode, which is all it's all the best cowboys have daddy issues. I think that's <laughs> the longest ever title. I don't think there's a longer title. All the best cowboys have right. daddy issues. Yeah. Full sentence. Um, but... Uh, I guess we'll have to wait to see what happens next until then. But uh, as always, buddy, thanks for uh, chatting with me today. This was a lot of fun. I hope you had a lot of fun. Yeah, about for this sure. One. Always. Yeah. And thank you, of course, dear listeners, for listening. Uh, as uh, you do, you faithful listeners. Um, <laughs> but uh, we will talk to you next time on See You in Another Life, Brothers. Until then, we will see you in another episode, brothers. Bye. Bye.